Friends, I'd invite you to take your Bibles and uh, open it to John chapter 13. We're going to get there in a little bit. Uh, our theme verse, as we have been going through this brief fall series on the commands of Jesus, the theme verse comes from John chapter 15. Remember, this is Jesus and the twelve in the upper room for what we remember as the Last Supper and the disciples expected to be a Passover meal. It was at that Passover meal, a memorial meal, to remember God's deliverance of His people from bondage in Egypt that Jesus gave those symbolic memorial events new meaning as we were to remember Jesus' body and His blood given for our deliverance from the bondage of sin and death. And it was at that time, not only did they share that Passover meal, but Jesus, on the eve of His crucifixion, He taught them. He taught them important things that they were going to need going forward as followers of Christ after Jesus was no longer with them day to day and He would go back to His Father's right hand in heaven to intercede on our behalf. Jesus talks about uh, ministry, talks about the Holy Spirit and His role in our lives going forward as He was going to send another comforter. Well, in the midst of these teachings, Jesus talks about discipleship being not only a believer in Jesus and a child of God through faith in him but being a follower of Christ as we term it as scripture terms it as well a disciple a follower a learner from Jesus and in that context he talks about he talks about the importance of love the greatest commandment, and we're talking about the commandments of Jesus, the great commandment is to love one another. And we're going to start looking at that next week, but I, I have a reason for putting this command this morning a little bit earlier. Uh, but in the midst of all of that context, Jesus tells us, you're my friends. He says, I no longer call you servants. You're my friends. You're my friends if you do what I command, John fifteen fourteen. That's immediately after Jesus' command to love one another. So the Lord's not asking you to do something difficult, onerous, something that you take a deep sigh and, oh, I have to do that. All of you as parents and grandparents, if you've had children and grandchildren in the house and you ask them to do something that you know needs to be done and they need to do it and they need to learn to do it and we call those chores responsibilities, but how often they don't want to do it. The deep sigh and the rolled eyes and, oh, I don't want to do it. It's, it's not fun and it's hard and it might even, I may think it's beneath me. And sometimes we think the commands of God are that way, but they're not at all. The command to love one another as I have loved you. The great commandment. That adds joy and blessing an enormous heavenly quality to life that nothing else does. If you are in step with Jesus, walking in His steps and following His command to love one another, your life will be blessed. And this is what brings us to today's commandment because it's that command we're going to look at next week, the great commandment to love one another. It's that commandment in action. Love in action is simply service. Serving those that you love. And so this morning, we're going to look at Jesus' do this command is to serve. Do this service. 
And of course, I ask you to turn to John 13 because at that upper room, those people sat there, they enjoyed that upper, uh, that upper room teaching, the upper room discourses. They enjoyed that fellowship at the Passover meal, which was the Last Supper. And you have to remember, they enjoyed it all with clean feet. <laughs> and they had clean feet despite the fact that the household in which they met, it wasn't their house, it was a guest room. They went there, the meal was prepared for them, but there was no servant, generally the lowest servant of a household. The act of hospitality for your guests were for them to remove their sandals and you would wash the grime and grit from their feet because people generally wore sandals and the streets were often open sewers. And so that was a needful, if very humble, act of service. And so obviously the host of the house, the owner, the people who own the house, they wanted you to have that service, but they generally had somebody else perform it. The lowest person a child, a maid, somebody, perhaps the youngest child in the family, somebody would do that for you. But this time there was nobody available to do it. And so Jesus washed their feet. It was beneath the twelve. Remember, they had just recently been arguing over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. They were more concerned about who was at the top of the food chain in leadership and here Jesus places himself at the bottom, the very bottom, service. I love this picture. It's so many pictures of, and paintings and recreations of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And this is one of my favorite. It's by an English. In fact, we saw it in the, in the National Gallery in London a couple years ago. It's by the English painter Maddox Brown was his name. And it's called Washing Jesus Washes St. Peter's Feet. And that's Peter. He has the grumpiest look on his face. And it's a mixture of shame that... Jesus, his Lord and Master, is washing his feet because they were arguing and none of them would wash each other's feet. They were too proud, but Jesus wasn't. My only beef with this wonderful painting is that Peter is like three times older than anybody else in the painting. And we know he wasn't that old at all. That The disciples generally were about Jesus' age. Most of them were in their 20s or 30s, more or less. But there's Jesus setting an example. Our mandate is service. Tomorrow, the political parties of Canada are going to come to you and ask you for a mandate to govern. We hear that term all the time. We want a mandate. We want a strong mandate. And while we call politicians, I think it's a euphemism, we call them public servants. Many of them don't think of themselves as servants. They think of themselves as governors. The mandate to govern, they're asking you for authority to be over you. Authority. And that authority, well, we've seen it during the pandemic. It has broad reaching. It can reach right into your house. It can, uh, they're tr trying to reach right to tell you health decisions, everything. It's an enormous mandate. It's all about power over you. But Jesus, though he says that's what the Gentiles do, they lord it over you. Your mandate following Jesus, get this, is to serve. Your mandate, rather than authority over others, your mandate is to work for others. 
to put yourself beneath them to work on their behalf. Now, that doesn't mean positionally you're beneath everyone. Think of the loving service of a mother and a father for a baby. Oh, that baby is the lowest of the low. Boy, of all the creatures that God created and they're young, you see how quickly the young can fend for themselves. Not human babies. They are helpless and needy for so long. And yet, loving service of mother and father. They do everything for these little ones. They put themselves at the service of this little child. We are called and given a mandate to serve by Jesus. Let's look at that John 13 passage. We'll look at two parts, leaving out Peter's uh, reluctance to be washed in the middle. Beginning in John 13, verse 2. Remember, they have a guest room, but nobody was there to serve them. Verse 2. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Positionally, Jesus, as God himself, as the obedient Son of God, all things are under his power. Get it? Jesus is here. Everything is under him. So what does Jesus do? He goes to the bottom to serve. This is amazing. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. So He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around His waist. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash His disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. It was difficult. They were refusing to do this simple act of love and service for their fellow followers of Jesus. They were too proud. They didn't want to give in in that argument of who was the greatest. They didn't want to do this because it would give the others an advantage. They were thinking all these things and Jesus simply served the Master, the Lord. He served them. Jesus explains His actions a little bit later in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your, teacher, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done, for I tell you, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus told us two important things. <laughs> Number one, nothing's beneath you. Nothing's beneath us as servants of God. Jesus says, follow my example and you will be blessed. That's the key to a life of blessing. Not being out for number one, but putting others first. As Scripture says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Think of the needs of others before yourself. And you may say, well, what about my needs? That's society. That's their, that's their rallying cry. What about me? When you're caring for others, your needs will be met. 
at a far deeper level than if you put yourselves first. As Jesus said in this passage, He's our example. I call Him our model. He is our model for service. He's given us a mandate for service, not to rule and govern, but to, to serve and work for others. And Jesus said, look at His example. Look at His entire public ministry. And I'm sure that was an example of His life as well, growing up in Nazareth and working with His father, the builder, the carpenter, Jesus was selfless and put others first and served. But as a public figure, as a teacher, that's all he did. Heal and feed and teach. It was always others first. Sometimes to the detriment of his own strength and health. And he would need to withdraw to, to pray and have time with his father and to, and to collect himself. And he saw the toll it took on his followers. They needed to get away sometime and have a retreat. But he's our model. He's a servant. As Matthew 20, Jesus correcting them when he caught them arguing over who is the greatest. This is following the event that set it off when James and John, remember, had their mom weigh in and ask for the two brothers to have the places on the right and left of Jesus. Jesus used this as a teaching moment. It says in verse 25 of Matthew 20, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, i.e. the election tomorrow here in Canada, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. That's exactly what we do. Not so with you, followers of Christ. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus is our example, for He came to earth. The incarnation was an act of service. Putting the lost before Himself. And the attitude behind this, Jesus not looking down His nose at the lost, but willing to kneel and touch the leper, the outcast, to wash the dirty feet. Jesus who eventually, showing us His fullest act of love, taking the sin, the very worst of all of us, upon Himself and paying the price. That attitude of humility, putting others first. The book of Philippians one of the most beautiful passages in the New Testament speaks of the attitude of Jesus. It's very poetic. In fact, uh, many scholars believe this is an early hymn of the church singing about the attitude of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, the worst criminal's death. Jesus, the Creator above all things, made himself humble and servant of all. He is not only our model, but 
in our actions, but also in our attitudes. They need to be humility. Because your motive for your service counts. You can be busy, a busy body, always at work, doing everything, weeding people's gardens, shoveling their walks. You can do all the service in the world, but if your heart is in the wrong place, it goes for naught. Our motive for service has to be has to be love. It has to come from the heart. It's what moves your hand. Not obligation. Not duty. Not because it has to be done. So begrudgingly you do it. You don't even like kids. But you teach that Sunday school class full of those rotten brats anyway. Well, that's going to get you a reward in heaven. Hey, I don't think so. Your motive has to be right. Galatians puts it so well, so beautifully. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, Paul says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Not serve one another in obligation or because it's expected of you. Or serve one another because what would everybody think if I didn't? Serve one another in love. Paul says the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Motive behind your actions is what pleases God. The passage I've mentioned many times because it's so clear that God looks to your heart and not your hands to declare what an action is in His eyes, is found in Jeremiah chapter 17. The Lord says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. You may have the best works of service in the world, but if your heart is doing it for instance, in pride, so people will look at you and think, what a wonderful, humble person and you want to be thought well of. That's the wrong motive. God sees that and He knows. He wants you to just be a humble, loving servant in the footsteps of Jesus. His love is our motive for service. And our method, our method for service well, that's different a little bit for each one of us. I have a picture there of a toolbox. It's an old-fashioned toolbox. Not like those big, beautiful red rollaways that many of you have. Oh, if I could be an envious person, that's one of the things I'm envious of. Guys with beautiful, well-stocked toolboxes. They're just, and there's always the tool you want. Just what you need. It's there and you can find it. Well, that's what the family of God is like. We are... God's toolbox in the world. God has given you gifts, spiritual gifts. And these are to be tools, not toys for your own amusement. They're tools for service in a hurting world. And all of you have different tools in your toolbox. The Holy Spirit's manifestation in each one of us, coupled with the natural abilities that God has given you with, He's going to use you to bless the world in different ways. That's our method. Use the gifts that God has given us for His glory. This is most clearly taught in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Peter writes, 
And this is funny. He writes this as an explanation because he's just told the people to exercise the gift of hospitality. And he says, do it without grumbling. Cut out all the grumbling. Obviously, there were traveling preachers and teachers. This is the days before Best Western or Super 8s. And when they came to town to minister, <clears throat> they needed to be hosted in people's homes for a couple days maybe. And Peter <clears throat> has heard that people are grumbling about this. He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And then he explains why. This is actually you using a spiritual gift. He says, each one of you should use whatever gift he's received to serve others. That's the point of God giving you a spiritual gift. To serve others. Use whatever gift you've received, whatever tool is in your toolbox to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. There's so many ways. He gives some examples. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. And if anyone serves, it's a hands-on gift, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You may be wondering, perhaps you've taken a spiritual gift inventory sometime in your life. I think that's a good exercise churches should do from time to time. Maybe in the future, near future, we should uh, have a really good spiritual gift inventory available to, so that you can really hone in on how God has gifted you. Not just a natural ability. Some people can sing. Some people just have wonderful abilities. But God has added a spiritual gifting to you as well. Perhaps it's faith. Perhaps it's hospitality. Perhaps it's discernment or administration. In fact, I have a number of those gifts, remember, on this next slide. Look at them. They fall in different areas. Some of them are teaching and speaking gifts. Some of them are hands-on service gifts that all of the, the church as a body, as a, as a group that needs to be administered, they need these gifts. And others were important, especially in missionary settings and in the early days of the church before Scripture was uh, completed, before the New Testament came into being. Those were sign gifts that testified to the power of the message of those who brought it. We think of the miraculous gifts like uh, speaking in tongues and, and healings and so forth. Not to say those are all uh, not taking place now, but they have a certain setting that they're most effective in. Looking at these, and these aren't exhaustive. These are found primarily spiritual gifts. You always remember where they're taught in Scripture. Romans chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Ephesians chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Those, those four chapters really have most of the New Testament's teaching on the gifting. Much more teaching on the Holy Spirit and His ministry throughout the New Testament. But those hone in on spiritual gifts. And the point is always the same. They're not toys. They are tools to build up the body of believers. In fact, my job as a pastor teacher in the New Testament it's to equip you, God's saints, for works of service. It always goes to love in action, our service. Because that's what it is. Again, Galatians chapter 5, we were, let's move over now to Galatians chapter 6. Look across the page. 
It says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good. Or no, I'll begin in verse 9 as the screen says. Let us not become weary in doing good. Some of you have served wonderfully for years. And the world tells us after a certain amount of service, there's a thing, a wonderful thing called retirement where we don't have to serve anymore. It's not in the Bible. <laughs> I always remind you, it's not in the Bible. Your service may change and it certainly should change at different points and seasons in our life. But service never leaves us till the day we go home. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Who's your target for service? And the love of God in action, all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Friends, your service, using your gifts, should be first and foremost as a blessing to build up the body of Christ, to bring Him glory in the church. But your target for service doesn't end there. It extends to the community you live in, whether it be at school, at work, those who cross your path regularly, your neighborhood. You can serve and use your gift to be a blessing in those areas as well. Don't grow weary. Do good to all people, especially to the family of believers. And having said all of this, our mandate, our model, our motive, our method for service, I would like to end as a pastor. It hurts me not to have an M word for this final point. If I'm honest, my wife and I, we racked our brains and looked at a thesaurus. What M word? I couldn't think of one. Because what I'm talking about is your reward for service. Your reward. If you think of an M word, tell me afterwards and I will change this and put it away somewhere. Your reward for service, God sees your service. It's important to Him. Not only is it a blessing to those who you serve, and Scripture says that you in turn will receive an even greater blessing in being a blessing. God blesses you to be a blessing. It'll put a smile on their face. It'll put joy in your heart. But best of all, it puts a smile on God's face. God sees it all. It's important to Him. The least act of service is important to the Lord. He doesn't forget anything. He knows it all. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is going on telling people that whoever receives him are his followers. It's not on the screen, but in verse 40 of chapter 10, Jesus says, He who receives you, that is, accepts you and your message as a follower of Christ, receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. And in that context, Jesus says, further down, verse 42, And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Even the smallest act of service. In this case, it's not done by the followers of Jesus. It's a blessing given to the followers of Jesus. Even a cup of water. On a hot day, God sees it. He remembers it. 
He writes it down. Why? Because He wants to bless you for it. He wants to reward you for it. That is important to Him for you to know that your humility and love in action through service has not been for naught, has not been forgotten. Oh, His incredible reward awaiting His children for service. For service. Matthew chapter 25. It's an amazing chapter. The story of judgment. Dividing the sheep and the goats. The reward for service that God gives. We see different rewards there. One is you're welcomed into heaven because you are a child of God. Because you have put your faith in Jesus. And as a child of God, heaven is your inheritance. It's not on the screen, but we see that reward in Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. That's your inheritance as a believer in Jesus through faith in Christ. It's heaven. But the Lord also sees who's serving who's not only a believer, but a disciple. You're my friend if you do what I command. If you love one another as I loved you. Jesus not only gives heaven, but He desires to reward those who were faithful in service. And that reward is enunciated in verse 21. His Master replied, Well done, what? Good and faithful servant. This isn't a son inheriting. This is a faithful servant receiving a reward from their master. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. <laughs> the Lord knows. And He wants to reward His servants. Those who loved as they were loved. The motive of your heart is love. You serve people not because they deserve it, but because you love them as God loved you. And He loved you not because you deserved it, but because it's who He is. While we were yet God's enemies, Christ died for us. So friend today, I'd encourage you, this whole series is about service, about Living out God's command to love. The reason I put this before the great commandment to love, it makes sense to talk about love and then love in action, is that because it focuses around Jesus' act of washing the disciples' feet. There are some denominations in greater Christendom who see this as a third ordinance. Remember those things that Christ commanded? The initiatory ordinance showing your faith, baptism. The ordinance that's repeated again and again as often as you do this. Do this in remembrance of me, the Lord's Supper. Jesus says very near to that in John 13, now that I've washed your feet, you need to wash one another's feet. And so there's groups who do this regularly as part of their worship as an ordinance to physically wash each other's feet. Men washing men's feet, women washing women's feet, or husband and wife washing each other's feet. 
I've even practiced it in a Maundy Thursday, the Thursday of, uh, of Easter week before Easter Sunday. Uh, many groups do this around the world. But we see this clearly in context, not as an ordinance, but as an example. Jesus in humility doing the work of the lowest servant in the household set an example for you and I. Nothing's beneath us. We need to go where we're needed and serve with the love and strength that God gives. May He touch our hearts and point out to us what that is. There's no closing song, is there? Is there? Wonderful. I didn't know. As the worship team joins me on the platform, I'll close my portion with prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, when I hear these passages, I'm always challenged. Lord, I know what my heart desires is to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. But Lord, if all of us are honest, there are days where we don't feel good or faithful as servants. Lord, we know our service falls far short and we miss untold blessing because of it. Lord, make our hearts more like Jesus. Guide our steps in His footsteps. That we put others before ourselves. We seek not to have our needs met, but to meet the needs of those around us. And Lord, as we do it, we do it with the same motive of Jesus as an act of love. Lord, may we hear it, apply it, and live it. For then we will be blessed. We ask all of this in Jesus' loving name. Amen.